Might need a teenager. Technology. Do we have a teenager here? <laughs> Run up here real quick. See if you can get this timer working. Everybody, you'll be everybody's friend. Okay? When you get it, bring it to me in the pulpit. All right. Well, anyway, guys, glad to be here. We just came back from Rwanda. He'll have it in like five seconds. Thank you. That's, that is embarrassing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I used to mock my mom and her lack of technology, and then I figured I'd become my mother, so it's tough. Glad to be here. We were in Rwanda. Uh, we worked a lot serving in worship, overseeing worship. We took Cole and Emily Massey because uh, they were cheaper than the Imhoffs because they got so many kids. But anyway, Cole got to lead worship to people from 51 countries. We actually decided to break out of all those meetings and to host something for college kids. And so we, we got our missionaries from Iraq. Can't say it. Iraq. Um, they came and they brought a young man who was a son of a sheik. Actually, it's a sheikh. And he had been in the army and he had seen how they brutalized women and children. And basically, though he was Muslim, he, he actually became an atheist and just kind of on the down low. And then for about two years, he had no faith. And then in Iraq, somebody gave him a Bible pamphlet. You know, there's ones people give to you and you're kind of like, thanks a lot. And um, he actually got it and it said, God loves you. And he had never heard that God actually loves people. He just thought God was a fierce, mean person who tells you what to do and not to do. And so anyway, the, the, the man became a Christian at age 25. And his father, who is very rich and very powerful, said, I will drink your blood. His father took out a knife and he stabbed him multiple times. He, he had a bunch of people beat him. The kid was tough, soldier, escapes and uh, goes on to heal up and become an evangelist, handing out Bible tracts and leading people to Jesus, even built a church in Iraq. So that was part of what we're doing. When we had a, a gathering for all the college kids in Rwanda, we let him give his testimony. So he's speaking in Arabic. There's a translator who translated into English who translates it into Kenya Rwandan. And people came to the Lord. Even people in the band in Rwanda came to the Lord. So if you're timing the sermon, you may start now. Okay, great. I um, actually love Holy Communion. I loved it before I was a Christian. I remember as a kid, I was an acolyte. I didn't really, I didn't know the Lord. I knew about him. But there was something, I knew even as a kid, like something's going on here. You know, the Bible says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. He knows that we're thirsty and we're hungry for something more. He said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. On the last page, in the last book, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any of you are thirsty, come, come. And so today we're going to be talking about Holy Communion. And, you know, that's one part of what we do on Sunday morning. What else do we do? We have preaching. And we also have, which is really amazing today, as always, uh, singing. And so I like preaching and I like singing. But let's be honest. Sometimes the sermon's an A+. Plus, sometimes it's like, bless his heart. <laughs> you know? And music at our church, we're blessed, and so sometimes it's an A plus, and sometimes it's a B or B well, maybe occasionally B minus. Uh, but you know, Holy Communion is always good. It's not dependent on how clever somebody is or something I put together. When you come in faith and receive, the Lord meets you, and it is—it's always good. It's always good. And I want you to see where it comes from. So. Um, Let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. 
When God got his people out of Egypt, he told them to do something. What did he tell them to do? Kill a, a lamb. You've read the book. <laughs> to kill a lamb. All the, that belong to the, and it's hot, one degree, please. One degree, go hit it. Um, he told them to take a lamb and kill it and put the blood of the lamb on their door. And so when God sent the angel of death to break his people out of bondage, 400 years, harsh bondage. God cares about injustice. He said, put the, put the blood of the lamb, that pure spotless lamb, put it on the lentils, put it on your door. And when the angel of death sees that, he's going to pass over you. Hence the feast of Passover. And God told Moses to tell the people, this is to be done forever and ever, amen, until the Messiah comes back. Lo alam in Hebrew, forever. And so that was that. We skip forward to Jesus and his disciples, and he's ready to go to the, the cross and to die a terrible death. Um, but before that, he was a faithful Jew, and so he wanted to celebrate or keep Passover just like Exodus 12 said to do. And so here it is in Matthew 26. It's also in other places. Now, on the first day of the unleavened bread, matzah, the disciples came to Jesus and saying, hey, where would you have us prepare the Passover? And Jesus tells them, and they go and prepare the meal. In verse 20 of Matthew 26, it says, Then Jesus reclined at the table. You know, I'm always up and anxious and ready to fight and move, and Jesus just reclined. Kind of reminds me when he was in the boat. Like, he has enough faith and trust in his Father. He can rest. And he, even though he knew he was going to the cross, it says he reclined. Maybe we could learn to rest in the Lord like that. Verse 26, it says, Then Jesus, as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing the bread, he broke it. And I don't know about you, but I don't like to be showy in my religion, but I also never want to lift a fork to my mouth that I do not thank the Lord. You know, we have friends in many countries whose kids do not eat every day. Every time you put your fork to your mouth or your spoon to your mouth, you don't have to do a showy prayer, look at me, but in your heart, bow your head, Pray the Lord and give him thanks. You know, Holy Communion is called by a lot of names. If you're real, real Protestant, you call it the Lord's Supper. If you're an Anglican somewhere in the middle, you call it Holy Communion. And maybe if you know Greek or if you're from a higher tradition, you would call it Eucharist. You meaning good, charis meaning grace, good grace. But really, that word is translated to give thanks. So, Jesus takes the bread, he blesses it, gives it to his disciples. He says, take, eat, this is my body. Now, this is freaky, y'all. Jesus, in his body, is holding out bread, saying, take, eat, this is my body. You got God figured out? Yeah, you do. Okay, that's, I'm glad you do. I'm working on it. Um, so it says this. When he had given thanks, he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant or in some versions say, my blood of the new covenant, my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And so just like in Passover, you, 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 have, you have a lamb and you have blood and it's for sacrifice for our sins. And the God that calls us sometimes to fasting, you think, oh, what kind of God is that calls us to fasting? The reason he calls us to fasting is so we can be stripped of things that lead us from the king and from the feast that he wants for us. I hate fasting. Holy cow, I hate it. But the reason God gives it as a gift is to strip us, to strip away the things 
that would prevent us from knowing the king of the feast. And so Paul always wants to clarify things. Let's look at, um, let's, uh, let's go down, let's go down to 1 Corinthians 11. If you have your Bible, go ahead and go there. 1 Corinthians 11. So, Paul is like recounting some of the same things that Jesus said, but he's also giving instructions about what do we do. And let me just tell you the problem. What's the problem in Corinth? <laughs> well, there are a lot of problems. One, they thought too highly of themselves. Look at us. We're so spiritual. We're better than everybody. We're hyper-spiritual. And Paul's like, well, that's funny because you're living with your father's wife. They were having gross immorality, a kind that would make pagans blink and blush. There were divisions, there were factions, and there was pride, and there was divisions and factions and pride. And apparently people were coming to the Lord's table as they would gather, the body of Christ, the believers would gather. Some would come with a picnic basket, kind of like going to a tailgate at Virginia Tech, you know, like if you get invited to one, it's awesome, but half the times we get a ticket, we're not invited to a tailgate, so we stand like beggars outside hoping somebody will take us in. And so... Here's the instructions from the Lord. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says this. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you're eating. He goes, some of you are getting drunk. Some of you guys are feasting and eating all your food while your brothers and sisters in the faith have nothing because they're poor. You should be sharing with each other. You shouldn't come to church and get wasted. Could I chase a rabbit for a second? Some of you guys know I do this. In my first church, there's an old priest named Charles. I love Charles so much. He was 83 um, he just kind of felt like my great-granddad. And I was 25, and every Wednesday we'd have Holy Communion. And there was like 10 to 12 little old ladies who would come for Holy Communion every week. It never got above 15. But Charles always filled up the, the flagon. That's a big thing that holds wine. He would fill it up almost to the top. I'm like, Charles, we only have 10 to 12 people every week. But in faith, Charles always believed more were coming. And at first I thought it was faith. Then I realized, no, no, no. At the end of it, he just liked to reverently consume. Dude, he would drink like two-thirds of a bottle of wine, and he's like this. And I'm like, Charles, no, no, sir, with all respect. Um, yeah, so that's what was going on in Corinth. And he says this, one goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? And he says this, this is harsh. Do you despise the church of God that much? And so really what he's addressing is a bunch of people that are very carnal, very self-focused. They're getting wasted. They're not, they're not caring about others. There's no sense of the body, just individualism. Okay. And so in verse 23, Paul says, well, I received from the Lord Jesus what I also delivered to you guys, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed uh, took bread, and when he had given thanks... That's the word Eucharist. When he had given thanks, good grace, he broke the bread and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Okay, I know you're hot and so am I because I've got all these fancy robes on. Uh, in remembrance of me. Let me break that down for you. My Greek professor in seminary said, because I, I just memorized for the test, okay? He said, that word remembrance is way stronger than the English word. We think, oh, do this in remembrance of Jesus. Then we go, oh, yeah, it's kind of like Thanksgiving. The first Thanksgiving, which, by the way, is in Virginia. 
where people dress up like pilgrims and that family gets together and there's a big meal. You know how we remember that? What was it, 1609 or whatever? We remember that. Isn't that that cute? That's not what the word means. The word anamnesis, it, it means like you're remembering it so much, it's almost as if you're reliving the Passover. That's why the Lord said to keep the Passover year after year after year. Not just recall facts like Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. No. When they did the Passover, it was as if they were in Egypt. They had just seen the, uh, God move in power. And he was ready to get them out and lead them to the promised land. And they took it in faith as if it was happening. We're not re-sacrificing Christ. We're not actually reliving the Passover. But it's, it's much more than simply remembering. Again, as we read earlier, it says, the, 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 the cup that we bless, is it not a what? A participation. It's not just some boring thing we go through. It's a participation with the blood of Jesus. That's why you feel something. If you have faith, that's why you're experiencing the Lord. It's a participation in his blood. And in the blood is the life. And the bread that we break, is it also not a participation? The word is koinonia, or fellowship. We get to have fellowship with Jesus when we eat the bread and when we drink the cup. And that's what Paul says. So there are a few more instructions, and let's knock them out of the way. He says, so, so when you take communion, you're, do, you're actually doing something. Look at verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11. It says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Every time you take the communion, you're preaching a sermon saying, I believe Christ was put to death for me and for the sins of the whole world. And I believe he will be raised, that he was raised from the dead and will come again. That's a sermon you're preaching. Now, here's the tricky part. Let's go back to verse 26. It says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, for as often. A lot of you want to know, how often do I take communion? And if you're brought up in a Protestant tradition, it could be, Four times a year, could be once a month. I grew up in a church like that, Anglican church, once a month. My own twin sister, love you, sis, if you're listening, uh, she called me probably 25 years ago. She goes, why do you guys take communion every week? And I'm like, well, what does the scripture teach? What does the scripture teach? It says as often as you do it. If you want to look for a pattern in the book of Acts, what do you see? On the first day of the week, they gathered and they broke bread together. So at least weekly, they were taking the Lord's Supper. But this passage makes it so like, well, whenever you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Now, uh, verse 27, it says, whoever drinks, uh, therefore, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, boop, 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 will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Now, most of us are so libertarian, so free to want to live our best life now and be free and be free and be free. But there's another percentage of us that we're just masters at beating ourselves up. And we're like, oh, wait a minute. Okay, so it says, if anybody takes the Lord's bread and the cup in an unworthy manner, I'm going to be guilty of concerning the body and blood of Jesus. And so we beat ourselves up. We had a man who literally would beat himself at the rail every time he took communion. We've had other people that wouldn't take communion for a year or two years because they felt so unworthy. I think that's what my sister was pushing at. She goes, I need more time. Well, need more time for what? 
I need more time to prepare myself and get myself ready. And I'm like, sis, what are you going to do in a month that you couldn't do in a day? Confess your sins. He hears it. He is so happy to say, I've paid for it. I already knew about it anyway, but I'm so glad you're walking in the light. But there is this sense of holiness that you just don't take the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, Eucharist, in a careless manner. Those of you who've been to Holy Spirit for a while, you've heard me tell the story of Philip. Philip was five years old, and his parents wanted him to have communion. And I'm cool with that as a child of promise. Except for Philip found that you could gargle Holy Communion. <laughs> and then he, like, did his face, like a monkey face, like kids do. And he had, the, like, the piece of bread, like, falling out of his mouth. And he was, like, making monkey faces. And I'm like, okay, Sam and um, his wife, I said, y'all might want to work on teaching him what's going on during the Lord's Supper. And so we don't want to be neurotic, but we do want to remember it's a holy meal. And verse 28 says, let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Okay, so where does it all point? We had Passover, Exodus 12. There's, there's a lamb, there's blood. God's doing an amazing thing. There's actually some feasting going on there. Then we have Jesus doing it with his apostles, Matthew 26. We have Paul giving us instructions but it points to something else. What did all this point to all along? It wasn't like an accident. They tied it up. Isaiah 25, verses 6 and 7. Pop that on your, in your Bible or on your phone. Isaiah, is the, here's the feast. The feast that all the others point to. Isaiah, speaking 700 years before Jesus was even born, by the Spirit of God, says this. On this mountain, Mount Sinai, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty We'll prepare a feast of rich food. See, the problem is, you know why 20-somethings don't come to church? Because they don't think it's a feast. They think it's a fast. They think our God is a God of fasting, not feasting. And I'll say, you haven't read the story. And the way we can have this feast is because the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, became a sin for us. He laid down his life for us. It says, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. You know, God really loves people from all tribes, tongues, and nations. You know that? Every skin color, every accent, everywhere. And they're all going to gather. Not everyone, but people from all those different tongues, tribes, and nations will be at this feast the Lord is going to prepare. A feast, feast of rich food. A banquet of aged wine. Now, I don't know about you, but I like old wines. Right? Now, if you've already drinking your share... Maybe you could just focus on the feast and not on the well-aged wine, okay? But the point being that God is going uh, gonna to have such a feast with rich food, the best meats, the finest of wines. You saw what Jesus did at Cana. And he says, on this mountain, he's going to destroy the shroud that enfolds all the people. Do you hear that? They see what they don't see. It's like they have scales on their eyes. I know because I was one of them. And they sit in the pews. They even go on mission trips, but they don't see because a shroud enfolds them. But the Lord says on that day, at the, the time, the Lord's going to come back on this mountain. He's going to destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples and the sheet that covers all nations. Jesus says, if any of you are hungry, if any of you are thirsty, come and I will give you life. It is a participation in the blood of Jesus. That's what scripture says. It's a participation in his body. And we care for his body 
the bride. Amen and amen.